Hey there, I'm Pete Townsend, and this is Money Never Sleeps. We look inside the minds of entrepreneurs and at the crossover of startups, enterprise, finance, technology, and life as we know it. This episode of Money Never Sleeps is sponsored by Pat Fintech, the training partner that demystifies fintech and digital finance for financial services professionals. On the show this week, we've got Mark Boylan. I'm Mark Boylan, and I'm the CFO at TrustApp. Sharing his story on TrustApp, a transaction platform to help you buy and sell with strangers online without any fear of being scammed. In this chat, we get into Mark's leap out of Big Four and into startup life, finding the right distribution channels to get TrustApp into the end user's hands, the benefit of strong relationships with your early investors, and what's next for TrustApp. All right here on Money Never Sleeps. What I noticed on your your CEO, Connor Lydon, that he was a senior sailing instructor in Newport, Rhode Island. Yeah, he was. Did you know that? Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. I actually did a bit of sailing myself back in the day as well. So I did a, I did a couple of summers in Newport myself. Cool. Yeah. When my family left West Cork in 1842, you know where they went? Newport, Rhode Island. You got it, buddy. So really, I spent yeah. my summers there growing up off Thames Street. There was Oh, uh, wow. I lived there on called- Ann Street. I used to live on a couple of summers and I lived on Simmons Street too. So I'd know the place well. Yeah, it was Harrington Street down towards the end right before you got to Kings Beach and yep. that turn off to go off to the Ocean Drive. There was Harrington Cottage that was still there. I'm not sure if it's still there, but that was a family name. My great-grandmother was a Harrington. So Small um, world, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. I love Newport. Haven't been back there in years. Can't wait to get yeah. back there. Well, listen, you guys got a great story with TrustApp and I want to hear all about it, but let's start with you and your backstory and how you got to this point. Yeah. So I kind of went down this, the route of doing commerce in UCD, first of all, and I, I completed that there. And then I went on to do a master's of accounting in Smurfit. Following on from doing the master's, I went to PwC and I joined the banking, capital markets and aircraft leasing department of PwC. I worked there for three years and um, loved it and was brilliant. And then actually did a secondment to the States with PwC as well. So I went over to Charlotte and North Carolina to work on the bank merger between BB&T and SunTrust. So that became Truist. So I was over there for three months and yeah, loved it over there. It's a great part of great part of the States. And then I came back and I joined TrustApp then. So that was kind of my route and, and my my way of getting to trust up, yeah. That was a big jump, right? Going from big four, you know, all cozy coming out of college, going into PwC, doing the whole audit training program. Pretty good that you got into, you know, cap markets and, and M&A pretty quickly. That's awesome. And then boom, right into what is now a 17-person startup, I think. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. That That's kind of where we are at the moment. It is a big jump, I guess. And it was kind of yeah, it was a challenge when I went in, but it was something I was really excited about because, you know, you know what they say about a startup, you need to wear multiple hats in the business and do different jobs and be pulled in different directions. But that was kind of something that, you know, I was really excited about and I found would suit me being both kind of, you know, client facing with people and um, doing a bit of sales work, doing a bit of lead generation, as well as doing the kind of financial control side of things too, which which I kind of brought into TrustTap. But yeah, it was a big jump, but I have to say I've really enjoyed it. That's interesting. That's a pretty good combination. I hadn't thought much about that before, is that if you are engaged on the commercial side, like you said in a startup when you're wearing a lot of hats, if you're engaged on the commercial side, but also on the CFO side and doing yeah. the finances, that is quite the crossover, right? Yeah. And and where like, one you know, just was, kind of feeds the other. Yeah, because it was definitely something that you know, coming from, I suppose I was one of the first hires on the commercial side of the business from being client facing and that as opposed to 
very tech development team heavy resources but you know there was a lot of frameworks from the likes of a big firm such as pwc that you can implement such as proper processes Mm -hmm. controls and just kind of you know ways in which in which you work in teams and and how you present to clients and stuff like that too is something that definitely it kind of closed the loop as such taking the experience from there into into the different world which is the startup world yeah I get it. Yeah. It was kind of like your four years there. It was kind of like a, a, a startup executive training program. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Almost. Yeah. You could say that, you know, and so tell us what is trust app and what was the intersection of events that led to its creation? Yeah. So I suppose the best way to describe trust app is it's an end to end safe transaction platform, which is designed to protect both buyers and sellers from being scammed when they're transacting online with strangers or people they don't know. I suppose the intersection of how things happened, it was Connor, of course, who set up the business and he faced the problem of he was often traveling over to England for football matches. And with a trip like that, he'd have booked his flights, he'd have booked his accommodation. And the one thing that was always tough for him to get a hold of was the match tickets. And that was a very gray area. So he went over to Liverpool one time for a match and it turned out he'd been sold a fraudulent ticket. And he was scammed for that. And he looked at and he said, surely there's something here that allows peer-to-peer transactions to take place safely. And it just turns out there wasn't. And another example that nearly everyone can resonate to is the idea of selling an item on a classified marketplace, take a car. I think the days are gone where people are comfortable going to meet someone in a, in a dark alley at 10 p.m. at night and exchanging a wad of cash for a vehicle. Oh, you know, that's something that people are really looking unless to do. You, unless you really need it. Exactly, unless you're desperate, yeah. Yeah. So it was just about building a platform that allows people to transact safely with people they don't know, and that's kind of where it started, yeah. Okay, cool. And I, I do remember one of the last times that I did buy tickets for a concert for a gig online through one of these marketplace apps, and I did actually have to go and pay the guy in cash, and he had two tickets. It was U2 in the three arena, yeah. and... There were great seats, and what I didn't know was that I was buying the ticket of the ex-girlfriend of his who dumped him. Oh, no. Right? <laughs> yeah. So I found that out when I bought the ticket off and whatever, and then I didn't know realize he was actually going to go himself as well. So yeah. I'm there at the gig by myself. Two of my friends are down on the floor. I'm up a little bit in the stands, and I'm you know, up, waving my arms, pumping my fists in the air. Yeah. And I got this poor sad guy sitting next to me who's just got dumped. Right. Oh, no. like, that's that's, yeah. that's so not he, an ideal scenario. No, he wasn't very happy with me. But um, yeah, I guess it's it's interesting because the likes of your your typical classified marketplaces, despite them having huge numbers of listings, hundreds of thousands of listings, essentially a lot of them are still just an extension of a newspaper ad. If you think of it that way, you know, their teams aren't huge in the background behind it all, and a lot of them don't currently facilitate the transaction on their platform at all. And you know, Connor and I have been attending various marketplace conferences over the last year and there's a great want of them to move kind of closer to the transaction and facilitate the transaction on their website and that's kind of how we see them as nearly being the kind of low-hanging fruit for us as such where we've already built solution to plug into their marketplaces and meet the user at their at the point of at the point of sale where they're looking for something like this you know yeah yeah no i i got you and that that's one of the the things i was curious about as well is that you know when you see an app like Trust App, you immediately think B2C, but B2C is a big, big distribution strategy to pursue, right? And there are times where B2C is right. There are times where B2C is wrong. <laughs> There's yeah. times where B2C is right, but B2B or B2B2C is better, right? So tell us about reaching customers via B2C channels, 
but also the B2B channels through e-commerce and marketplaces like you're talking about, but also reaching the developer community with your API. I thought that was pretty good. Yeah. So like, as I mentioned, it was initially built as a standalone platform, which is for, you know, URI to come across a facility that allows me to transact online safely. But the nature of the transactions is that they don't occur every day for people. So we decided we needed to be kind of front of mind at the point of the transaction. And that's how we started moving towards these marketplaces where there's, where they, at the moment, they're currently just putting people in touch with each other. Um, so we kind of see them as the low-hanging fruit initially. And the, the fit we see is any transaction where there's, a, where there's a lack of trust involved is really where we can come in. Because what we do is we have this milestone-based payment approach whereby the money is held until it's until these milestones are met. So it's very clearly defined for, for both the buyer and the seller in all of those environments. There's so many different iterations of a transaction that there is friction at some point or there's a lack of trust at some point. And that's really something that we feel we can we can kind of help with, you know. And then exactly another thing then by reaching people via our APIs, that's kind of that's how we do plug into these marketplaces. So we do have this kind of ready-built solution that we can we can offer them. And yeah. you know, there's many ways it can go. They can they can go with their own branding on our on our APIs, or else we can kind of do a co-branded thing. But there's so many options, and that's and that is the way to to get involved in these in these companies. Which, as I said, if there's a lack of trust, then we fit it perfectly. Yeah, absolutely. The distinction for me is when you're marketing a platform, you're marketing an app, and you have to go straight out to the customers directly through social media through whatever outreach program that you want that takes a, that's a big big task when you can get your product plugged into marketplaces like you're talking about e-commerce sites through having this API that the developer community is interested in you're going to reach a lot more people quickly stripe to put you guys up on that pedestal yeah. right stripe was built for the developer community that were having mm. such a hard time enabling mobile websites to accept payments Right. Yeah. And that was, you know, their their value proposition was the, the developer community. Do you think you guys are headed that way or is this going to be the main target first interest for you guys from a sales perspective is the marketplace website manager from a business perspective rather than a tech perspective? Where, where are you finding the sales traction coming from? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. So the point you made about, you know, initial marketing spend is so true. It would take hundreds, thousands, if not millions of euro to really get the brand out there via direct marketing channels. So yeah, we're actually a verified partner of Stripe at the moment. So, you know, all over their website, you can see that we offer a different type of solution to them. But that is certainly a route that, w that we're going down at the moment. So yeah, it's about reaching reaching the companies that are facilitating the transaction and offering ourselves as a solution mm. for the problem they're facing. And, you know, it allows, so take the example you mentioned there about classified marketplaces. They can sell anything from a dog to a golf club to a car. They don't know what they're going to sell at the moment. They just know what listings are going up. But they don't really have as much data as they should have about what is being sold. So when we plug into these marketplaces, we can give them all that data and we can kind of help them open new revenue streams that way too. But then also, you know, as you said, it, it's a case of getting our, our brand out there, getting our name out there. And, and integrating with all these different types of companies. It's not just the classified marketplaces. One thing we're also looking at kind of moving into over the next next couple of months is the kind of higher value transactions too. It doesn't just have to be, you know, your your everyday items such as, a I don't know, a puppy or a, a car or a watch. It can be anything. It can be larger value items that have been transferred from people. And yeah, there's, there's loads of different avenues we've gone down. And to be honest, it's really just, it's evolving the whole time. An example of a partnership we have in the States at the moment is an influencer marketplace, whereby mm -hmm. uh, the, the product is that the 
the company pays influencers to market their products on their Instagram or, or on their Instagram stories. And the, the problem before was that the, in, the influencer was saying, look, come and pay me in advance, pay me $250. They'd pay the $250 and the influencer wouldn't fulfill their end of the bargain. So we designed a uh, transaction milestone yeah. that allows them to get their money so that the influencer can see there's $250 waiting for you here if you put your story on your Instagram. And when they do that, then the money's released. So that's just an example of how we kind of like to build different transaction types um, and different models around the problems businesses are facing. This episode of Money Never Sleeps is sponsored by Pat Fintech, demystifying fintech and digital finance for financial services professionals. Pat Fintech enables financial services professionals to transform their capabilities into the digital age with dedicated virtual training programs geared towards those that can develop, deliver, and monitor optimally customized user experiences balanced by appropriate governance, control, and oversight. To learn more about Pat Fintech, go to moneyneversleeps.ie slash P-A-T Fintech. What's the what's the secret sauce powering it in the back end? So we, we, our payment processor is Stripe. So we've we've a very good unique relationship with them. And the great thing with that is they're obviously a regulated financial institution across Europe and across the world. So we get access to all their markets via. So where they operate, we can operate in too, which is brilliant for us. And you know all their processes okay. around kind of. AML, PSD2, SCA, all that stuff, we can kind of utilize some of their processes too, to as well as our own manual checks in order to guarantee the security. Yeah, yeah, because it, it's what you guys built was the workflow and the tech on top of that, right? So you're using their payment rails, but you've got all the controls of what goes when and to whom, or exactly. what goes to whom and when, right? Exactly, so and, sitting nearly as an additional layer of security on top of Stripe, if you want to look at it that way. Yeah, very good example of once you get into a conversation like this, that it smells like an Ethereum with smart contract, but it isn't. And so taking some of the ideas from the blockchain space and saying, you know what, we don't actually need to use smart contracts or blockchain here. We can just do it with pretty good technology that is being used the world over already. Exactly. And that's the beauty of it because our APIs have been built specifically that we can sit on top of any payment processor. And further down the line, as we kind of expand and build it out ourselves the sky's the limit really we could process our own payments or and stuff like that if it's something we wanted but at the moment we're just built to be very flexible exactly as you said and and utilize whichever kind of payment process we want or or change whatever direction we want to go down in that way all right and i, I did notice on your website as well that uh, there was it looked like a big relationship with couriers hmm. right and that now that you're telling me more of the story i'm kind of I'm getting that without before I'm asking you the question, but tell me about the relationship with couriers, yeah? Because there's a lot of them listed on your website. Exactly. So we, what we do, it's kind of funny. The way we like to describe ourselves is kind of sitting as a hybrid solution between the likes of your PayPal, Venmo, Revolut, which is your modern wallet with great user experience, and combining the features of that with the traditional escrow companies, and which are typically more document-heavy and only designed for higher-value transactions. So what are what we do is we handle the entire transaction and we loop in the likes of the couriers into that transaction. So we've access to their APIs and that allows us to track the item or package or whatever it is from start to finish. So we don't just handle the money. We also handle the delivery of the item, which obviously gives security to both the buyer and the seller knowing where the transaction's at and what stage it's at at different times. So at the moment, we do kind of just have, a, have an agreement with the couriers where we access their APIs. 
by a subscription. But something, again, we're looking to do is develop formal relationships with these to close the loop on the entire transaction. So again, think of the example. If you're looking to sell something from your from your shed at the back, what we at Trustap would like to do is be able to get a Trustap van or a par- courier partner, arrive at your house, pick up the item and deliver it directly to the buyer um, and close out the loop completely. So that's kind of something where we're in negotiations with a, with a number of courier companies in Europe. And, and you know, Let's let's see where that ends up going. Okay. A few weeks ago, we spoke with Ollie Kavanaugh and Charles Dowd from Strike, yeah. and that is digital tipping, right? Mm. And I'd love to do a contingent tipping, right, where you get a fiver if the pizza arrives hot, yeah. you only get two, it, or you get nothing if it arrives cold, right? Yeah. And if you take Strike and Trust App together, you could do just that, right? But, you know, I'm just dreaming things up here. Yeah, Listen, yeah, definitely. You know, I'll, I'll connect you guys. But <laughs> it, they have a, a solid relationship with Stripe as well, right? Mm. So I think Stripe are going to end up being the godfathers here of, of global fintech in some way, shape, or form, at least, you know, from an Irish perspective. Not that if they are, aren't already. I know. No, they are. They are. It's wonderful. I saw that your pre-seed round of 800K was led by Liam Casey, who's the founder and CEO mm. of PCH International. And obviously had support from Enterprise Ireland as well. And that was completed just in the nick of time in December 2019, prior to the onset of the pandemic. What do you think it was that Lean saw in Trust App that led him to leading the round? I guess he, he has experience already due to being one of the earlier investors in Stripe, as we all know. So that was kind of, he knows the space very well. And I suppose he just really kind of understood what we were looking to do. And that was, it was very helpful, as I said, because, you know, with his relationship with Stripe, it allowed us to connect with them too. But I suppose he also saw in his side of work with PCH that there is, you know, a lack of trust in so many transactions in so many different spaces. So from, as we discussed earlier, from B2C, B2B, it's not just in the peer-to-peer space. And I suppose Liam himself maybe would have thought that, there, that there's really room for this to, this to expand and develop. And, and the world of, of escrow as such is really one that's about to really kick off over the next couple of years. Yeah, you're right. I see it. I mean, there, there's a lot of potential here with what you guys could do with this. It sounds like you're just, well, not just getting started, but there's, there's a long way to go. How have things gone since you guys did that raise and obviously it's you know well on a year past that now and what's the plan for the next round so things have gone really well to be honest what we've done over the last kind of few months is is onboarded a number of these partner websites in various different business types and and that's starting to now generate revenue flowing through the platform which is great validation of what we've done in addition to these partnerships we've onboarded we're also seeing a lot of organic traffic on the platform so people just coming across trust app at, at the early stage on the second or third page of google and actually validating what we think is there by, by passing over their money and using it for transactions themselves. And as I said, that's kind of great validation for us that people are willing to part with their money on a platform like this and transact in, in real life. So that's been really good. Our revenue is kind of growing month on month at this stage. And to be honest, the plan now is where all systems go for a full Series A round in August or September time. And we're seeing a lot of interest from VCs okay. both in Europe and further afield, which is great. That's fantastic. And are there any particular type of VC, without obviously giving up any names here, but any particular type of VC that you're saying, I'd, I'd like to work with them, right? Because no matter where you are from a cash flow perspective, the founder should always hopefully be in the shoes or, or hopefully be in the mindset. And the founding team should hopefully be in the mindset of saying, listen, we want to be in a position to be able to pick our investors, right? Exactly. And, and that's it, that's that's when you're coming from a position of power, which is great. And you know, that's kind of what we're what we're hoping to be. 
further down the line, as I said, in August and September time. And, and to answer your question, you know, it's all about finding the right match of the VC to the company. If you look at from an immediate perspective, a VC company with a lot of classified marketplaces in their portfolio would be a great match because, you know, we could then embed our technology in the, in their portfolio. And initially that would obviously increase our transaction volume and it would increase our revenue nearly straight off the bat. So that's kind of something we'd be looking at too. But also, you know, it's to utilize the, the contacts of the VC and their kind of commercial expertise and, and their track record too is something that we're, we're looking we're looking to do, as I said, both from a commercial perspective and also just kind of for advice and, and for what they've done in the past. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the one that I talk about a lot in that space, and now that you mentioned marketplaces again for, you know, that I'm, I'm thinking of is NFX. They love network effects. They got this VC business started. They're in California, obviously. They got the VC business started by, I think, looking at in the last 10 years before they started the business, they said, let's look at all the top deals. And they found that the 80th percentile and above were all deals were the startups themselves. Their success was all based upon network effects. Yeah. Right. So what were the biggest grossing VC investments over that 10-year period and said, well, the top 20% all had big network effects that delivered the revenue for them and delivered their big, big, huge honking valuations, right? So Exactly. Um, and, you know, like lead generation is obviously one of the biggest challenges for any business, no matter what space they're in. And if your VC can help you on that front and open a few doors, then then that's great for all parties, really. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That whole idea of the two-sided marketplace where you are enabling buyers and sellers to come together and you're selling something to buyers and you're selling something to sellers. Yeah. Right. And you're right in the middle of it. So there's, yeah, you're in a good position there. Just thinking back to your experience in the first four years of your career, I know that you said you brought forward some good ideas around governance and controls, but yeah. were there any big lessons learned from big four that you've carried through that you think are part of your day-to-day working life? I suppose the biggest thing you take from the likes of a big four company is you're constantly working in teams. You're constantly working with other, with other people and, and kind of pulling towards the same goal. And that's, that's something that is, is transferable to any workplace, really. And, you know, the big thing is the way you're kind of professionally trained in, in the big four, I think, is a great stand to anyone. You're exposed to a lot of different scenarios and you're problem, constantly problem solving or trying to get to the bottom of things. But you're also, as I said, as I kind of mentioned earlier, you are looking at you're getting an inside look at how at how these massive corporations work and you're getting a, a look in the door from from your work day to day and there's definitely parts of that you can take forward the things you've, you found are good when you're out on client side and the things you found are bad and you know you can learn from that too and and i really think there's a lot to be taken from it and obviously the commercial side of the business too it's 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 what makes the the clock tick i suppose but there's a lot to be taken from your time in pwc and and the way there's a constant learning environment there. So you come in and you don't really know anything. And then by year one, you know something and you're teaching that to the people people below you. And year two, you're, you're vice versa. You're teaching through year one. And, you know, it's a constant learning experience. But you're also leveraging on the knowledge of other people too, which which is great. And that's kind of something that we're tr- we try and do is we often have these, you know, team-wide meetings with trust staff where everyone hops on a call and someone might say, okay, well, I'm facing this problem with this product here or whatever. And it's just, it's great to hear views from people from all different parts of the business who might kind of add something in or, or, or fix the problem there. And that's kind of something I think we, we took from took from that environment too. Okay. And if, you know, imagine the day in an alternate universe where you did go back into that environment, right? Now, you know, all, all the good money is on Trust App being extremely successful. But mm. what would you bring back with you into the inside? 
from this experience? That's a good question. Hmm. I suppose you'd kind of take on the flip side of what I kind of said, I think sometimes the hierarchy of your your job title can be taken a bit too seriously in the likes of a big four, whereby, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes only the senior people speak to the next most senior people and then it kind of filters down the line like that. Whereas, you know, the most junior member on your team might have the best idea and it might not always get heard. So I suppose that's kind of one way of looking at it there. But to be honest now, I hate to knock it because I think there's a hell of a lot of good going on um, that you learn in there. But maybe that's maybe that's one thing that could be taken on board. Oh yeah, absolutely. But the the one thing I really would have loved to hear you say is is hustle. Yeah. Right. Yeah. In in that you're in the startup space, you're in a commercial role, you're in the finance role, which is awesome to be in both of those at the same mm. time. And you you just you got to hustle. You got to get shit done. Yeah. Right? Exactly. And I guess the autonomy of like moving around maybe between different departments and stuff would be a lot more beneficial to people rather than just being, you know, just being an auditor, just being an M&A or just being in tax. I think it'd be great for people to freshen it up and do different things more often. But I suppose that's just me. Maybe that's just the way I'm built to function. Yeah, no, I get it. I mean, the first five years of my career were with Fidelity Investments in Boston. Mm. And if I hadn't had that five-year start to my career, I wouldn't be where I am today. It was an incredibly valuable grounding in business. And the biggest thing I took away from that was that you can't manage everybody the same way. Everybody responds to things differently. You th- would have yeah. thought that when you learned management theory in college, when you're 19 years old, that would have stuck with you, but it didn't, right? Yeah. And it took until you're out and you're actually trying to motivate people and work with people and work together in teams, like you said, before you figure this out and that you got to push different buttons and have different types of relationships with everybody. So Exactly. Cool. And challenge yourself, I suppose, and, and be taken out of your comfort zone a bit more. Exactly. Any big news coming up? Big things happening? Yeah, so we're actually onboarding one of the largest classified marketplaces in the UK, a company called Preloved. And that's going to be a big milestone for us as this this company has over 800,000 listings on their on their platform. And we're going to be the payment provider enabled on, on, on their ads whereby the user can enable TrustApp and allow them to tr- transact on their website, which is huge for us. And, you know, we think that this will lead to tens of thousands of transactions a month flowing through our platform, which would be kind of a great a great boost for us and all the team um, and really kind of boost the, boost the revenue we're seeing on the platform on top of the other partners we've signed. That's something we're, we're really excited about working towards. And there's also a couple other very large marketplaces in Europe and further afield, which we're which are onboarding now in the next next month or two. So it's prom it's a busy busy few months ahead, but it's it's all really good. Awesome. And you spoke about the team there. Before I ask you my last question, anyone you want to give a shout out to on the team? Ah, uh, you got to say give a shout out to them all. I suppose you know it's the people in the background that make it all tick. Especially Sean, our CTO, is absolutely phenomenal he solves every problem that comes his way the answers never know it's okay how do we fix that rather than saying um, no we can't do that so him and all his team in the background are all doing great work and to be honest everyone's pulling their weight and that's kind of what makes it brilliant there's no one shirking responsibility and everyone's driving it on as best they can so it's great awesome glad to hear it last question what is one thing that people wouldn't expect to know about mark boylan i don't know it's always a tough question isn't it i suppose so I suppose behind behind work and all that, I suppose I'm absolutely sports mad. I play every sport under the sun from a young age and that's juggling that has probably been the, been as big a challenge as anything is trying to find the time to do to do everything. And I suppose, yeah, I spent several of my summers in a place you're familiar with, Newport, Rhode Island, coaching sailing over there, which was some of the some of the best months best months of my life. But no, that's it, I suppose. I'm I, I'm just absolutely sports mad, but I suppose that's maybe not too exciting an answer. Yeah. 
Well, no, 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 no. I mean, you know, you kind of hinted at it all along. I mean, it's sailing is a team sport. I, I'm assuming all the other sports you're referring to are all team sports, right? Yeah. And so it's, it's anything from GAA to rugby, golf, you name it. We, I've, I've tried it. All right. All right. Well, no, I mean, it takes great teams to win, right? Well, we, we had Mike Cavanaugh on a few weeks ago yeah. and he said, great leaders build great teams, great teams build great cultures and great cultures build great businesses, right? Yeah. So, you know, teams is a, a, a strong opponent. And when the first time you said it during our chat tonight, Mark, I thought you were referring to Microsoft Teams, but we'll... Yeah, no, that. no. That's, <laughs> despite that being the common language these days, it's still the still the real life teams that appeals to oh, me. Oh, Christ. I, I just don't use it. It's such a hog on the, on the you know, on my laptop resources. Just forget about it. But anyway, yeah, listen. But it's great. It's something, you know, that everyone's excited about is getting back in the office and getting back that kind of buzz of working together and, and, and seeing things happen in person is, is something that, you know, our team is really excited about. And I'm sure, I'm sure we're not the only company around in Ireland and around the world thinking the same thing. Absolutely. Let's get people back together again, you know, start high-fiving in front of the whiteboard again, you know? Yeah, 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 exactly. (laughs) I'll leave you at that one. Listen, Mark, thanks so much for coming on the show tonight. It's been awesome. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. That does it for this week, folks. Thanks to Mark for opening up his mind to help us figure out why he does what he does. Links are on our website at moneyneversleeps.ie. So check us out online and subscribe to our Money Never Sleeps newsletter as well. Also, thanks to Conan Brophy from Create Sound for mixing and editing this episode. Conan is an excellent media man to get in touch with when you're thinking about launching your own podcast. As for me, I'm the founding partner at Norio Ventures, and I'm an early-stage startup advisor and investor focused on fintech and digital assets. If you'd like to talk to me about your business, drop me a voicemail on moneyneversleeps.ie. Finally, until next time, thanks for listening. See ya! Money never sleeps, pal.